All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, everybody, welcome back to another action-packed, high-caliber episode here uh, and interview. We are, we're joined, unfortunately, today not by my notorious compadre, Pizza Mind, and my co-host, he is MIA. So, Pizza Mind, I'm, I'm sending up my bat signal if you're out there. Uh, shoot me a text, I gotta find you, uh, because you're missing out on probably one of the most interesting uh, interviews that we're going to have in the first two quarters of this year. Um, I'm really excited about this one. This is Evan Quo, who's the founder of Ampleforth, uh, which I have a love-hate relationship with personally. Um, love it because it's brilliant. Um, it is smart commodity money. It is really a composable uh, part of DeFi, and it's really a huge, huge uh, kind of building block uh, that I'm really passionate about in DeFi. Why am I salty? Because it was uh, a 500X that I missed out on. In fact, when I talked to Brandon, who's the CTO and you know co-founder here of Ampleforth, uh, two years ago, I, I bought Ampleforth, I was trading it a little bit, sold it at a million dollar market cap, and I woke up you know, a few, few months later and Pizza Mind shows me, he goes, dude, did you sell that Ampleforth? And I'm like, oh my God. Anyhow, long story short, Evan, uh, welcome to the show. Sorry for that long-winded <laughs> intro, but I had to tell the good citizens of Crypt Nation uh, just a little bit of a story. But Evan, Evan, glad glad you joined us for the interview today. Yeah, thanks so much, and I appreciate that um, anecdote. That's good context to have. Um, yeah, we hear about that kind of stuff all the time, and of course, you know, I feel that way all the time about other projects as well. The, the space just moves so fast; you blink, and all of a sudden, something that you kind of forgot about is like, "Whoa, this is real." Um, and so really glad to be here and happy to kind of 
cover the basics of what Amples are and, you know, talk about a few other things like our governance token that we launched in April and then uh, some of the cross-chain initiatives that we just kind of announced uh, this past week with Binance Smart Chain and, and PancakeSwap and stuff like that. Yeah, no, there is a ton of ground to cover. And and for anybody who, um, you know, is interested on the 101 of Ampleforth, you know, we've already recorded a couple episodes with, uh, with these folks. So, we'll, you know, we'll link to those in the show notes. You guys go back check out the other uh, the other interviews. But guys, um, we're going to get a quick touch base with Evan here just on his background. So so Evan, just how'd you kind of find your way into crypto high level? Like this is a kind of a, a weird niche of tech and finance. You know, what's your totally. background? Uh, I mean, my background is originally in engineering. So I went to, you know, UC Berkeley and got into the kind of startup world shortly after graduating. And I think that, you know, yeah, it's an interesting story, I guess, for everybody, but I heard about Bitcoin a bit too early on. Um, I guess it was like a, a libertarian friend of mine who was really geeking out about it. And I remember reading the paper and thinking, wow, this is crazy. I can't believe you're so into it. And how will this ever kind of see adoption? It's so difficult to understand. I didn't even understand why it was, why anybody would architect a system this way. It seemed to be slower over time, right? So from a technical standpoint, it's like, this is so unscalable. <laughs> and and the other question and at the time I hadn't done that much exploration in economics so I was just like it has a fixed supply or it just kind of eventually stops minting like what ha- didn't we have that in the past like didn't we have like a gold standard or something Bretton Woods like didn't we move away from that you know those are kind of questions um and then I kind of just like dismissed it and forgot about it but I mean my mind was still turning in the background because like enough people that I respected were interested in it that I wanted to sort out like what it was that was special because it was different. And over time, I eventually kind of realized that like, you know, the Bitcoin protocol made massive technical scalable concessions in order to kind of manufacture scarcity in a purely digital context. And that itself was very special because you don't really have a lot of scarcity online. It's kind of like if you snap a photo, it could be copy and pasted a bajillion times. Um, so it did achieve that. And it also achieved censorship resistance. And so, you know, I kind of logged those two factors in my mind. And um, when the Ethereum platform came out, um, that became much more interesting. That's when I started to kind of meet with like Brandon, my co-founder that you mentioned earlier was on the ship previously. And we started to kind of just read white papers on a weekly basis. And, and we were really kind of, trying to figure out what the purpose of this new kind of blockchain infrastructure technology was. Many things did not make sense to us, like, you know, utility tokens for file storage and this and that. We wanted to understand why that would make sense, but it didn't quite add up. Um, But what did make sense was that it was kind of an opportunity to um, create new monetary assets. Um, In particular, kind of, it's like, because, you know, humankind, we've had this ability to create, you know, fiat monies for a long time, right? Uh, we've had this ability to create banks and accounting systems and kind of unbacked currencies. Um, what we've never been able to make until, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto was like a digital gold, right? We have, we've been able to make paper money since the industrial revolution. We've not been able to make gold ever. And this is kind of, you know, an endeavor that, you know, many, many, many great minds have fought for, for a very long time. Um, and so it became apparent that the exciting opportunity here was to create commodity money. Right. And the natural question to ask was like, okay, how do we create a better commodity money than gold? Um, and so then we hooked up with all the folks at the Hoover Institute and 
um, like the Manny and Neils of the world, and they helped us understand what the limitations of gold was, and therefore what the limitations of Bitcoin was. Um, and that's how we got to Ample. And, and I think that's a great segue because Ampleforth was also, when I held it, right, it was the first token that I ever held where one morning I would have, you know, 100 tokens and the next morning in my wallet, uh, I knew I wasn't being hacked because it was a, a ledger wallet, right? It was non-custodial. Um, and the next morning I had like 103 tokens. And then the next morning I had 98. And I was like, what's going on here? Like the, the token's actually rebasing. And so I realized that you guys had invented um, this concept. And then of course, you know, many other tokens came out and, you know, expanded on it and, and forked your code. But tell us about this novel idea. And it's this concept that you said that, you know, Bitcoin's weakness is that it has a fixed supply. Bitcoin That's right. Weakness, and yeah, it was the same weakness yeah. as gold's weakness. It was the same weakness that kind of Bretton Woods and the fiat monetary system kind of tried to uh, defeat. Right. And so, so, so what's going on here? Yeah, you hit it right on the head. And, and just to re reiterate what you said, um, the special thing about Ample is that the number of Amples you hold in your wallet can automatically increase or decrease, but it does so based on price. So what it seeks to do is hold the value of one Ample at the purchasing power of a $2019. And when demand for you know holding Ample increases, just the number of units in your wallet goes up. Uh, and when demand goes down, the number units in your wallet goes down. And the purpose of this is because um, we wanted Ample to be usable as a unit of account. So it's a non-dilutive currency, right? Like Bitcoin in the sense that if you own like 1% of the network, you'll always have 1% unless you sell or buy more, um, except it could be used uh, to denominate stable contracts. It could be used as a unit of account. And that really is kind of the weakness of Bitcoin because it has this kind of floating price and fixed supply. Um, it's very difficult to kind of price anything in it. You wouldn't want to denominate a home loan in Bitcoin, right? So imagine 10 years ago, you took out a $2 million loan and you were like, you know, this is going to be several thousand Bitcoin. I'm going to pay it off over 10 years. By now, you might be on the hook for like billions of dollars, right? Yeah, so bad it's not call. to be bad call, not to be used for contracts over time. And in the case of Bretton Woods, with parallel of gold, it's like, you know, Dollars, paper dollars were redeemable for gold at a fixed exchange rate by central banks and foreign governments. And of course, when, you know, like a, a sudden increase or decrease in demand kind of jolted the system, um, that broke a lot of those contracts, right? And so there, we got into this cycle where, you know, folks couldn't get enough gold because the price of gold was kind of going up and therefore we couldn't print enough dollars and therefore we were kind of grinding the economy to a halt. You just can't really denominate things in a fixed supply asset like gold. Um, and that's why we have fiat money, where you could kind of, you know, at the discretion of folks like the Federal Reserve, increase or decrease the supply of money or the rate at which money is being produced. Um, but with Ample, it's like it's much more crypto native in the sense that there aren't folks deciding whether we should increase or decrease the amount of money in, in, in user wallets. It's just kind of converting this demand. Um, this price signal from marketplaces into a quantity signal, right? So it, it just kind of propagates the volatility of price into the volatility of supply. Um, and for that reason, you can start to use it to uh, denominate contracts. And there's a lot of interesting things going on, um, as you know, in this world of DeFi, which is now really growing. Um, so if you think of like cryptocurrencies as these new digital precious metals, and you think of DeFi as these new simple banks, um, the foundation of these kind of banks is um, 
contracts. And so of course you need a building block that's kind of as decentralized and as indestructible as Bitcoin, but can be used as a building block for, for contract creation. And so we'll see a lot of really interesting stuff happen with Ample once it gets on more lending platforms. Um, and once we start to create derivatives from it, um, I'm very excited about some of the projects and initiatives there. But back to kind of what we were talking about before, this is a quick check-in to see like what's what's new in, in the universe of Ample. And, and really there are two new things um, that are worth mentioning in my opinion, is one, we launched a governance token. Um, this was kind of um, a widely distributed airdrop where everybody who had participated in the Ample network, anybody that held Ample uh, participated in the Geyser, um, was eligible to claim a portion of this governance token. And so it's kind of like, you know, the analog would be like fourth is to ample as like maker is to die. And so now there's an ample token and a fourth token. And the fourth token puts control over kind of upgrades into the hands of the community. So that's the direction we're, we're moving into. Um, so it's kind of just delivering on the promise of decentralization progressively. And the next thing that I'm super excited about is we've finally gone cross-chain. So now you've probably heard about all these amazing um, new chains like coming into existence, like Binance Smart Chain, and you've got you know, Polkadot around the corner, you've got Solana growing, you've got Matic Polygon. Um, Ample is a really interesting currency in the sense that, again, there is this extra piece of information that's being passed every single day that determines kind of the expansion coefficient of, of units in your wallet. And so um, with the hard work that we've done alongside Meter, um, we have kind of successfully deployed the first cross-chain application where now you can kind of send amples across a bridge from Ethereum to Binance Smart Chain. And these daily supply changes kind of automatically just work across multiple chains. Um, so that's a really exciting milestone for us because we've always kind of wanted the asset to be chain agnostic. That's phenomenal. You guys are doing so much. And like, I literally want to talk about everything. I want to talk about, uh, I don't know why necessarily, but I want to talk about Executive Order 6102 when gold became illegal. But before I talk about that, um, I wanted to talk about the fourth token, right? The fourth token uh, is phenomenal. I got the airdrop and it's solving, you know, again, lots of different um, problems or not problems, but basically saying, hey, the community uh, has the power, right? The community could vote on certain things, right? What is the community going to be voting on? How, like, how is the Ample Fourth protocol going to change? Is it going to, you know, have a like, because, you know, is it going to have shifting goalposts? Because I think one of the things that a lot of people love about Bitcoin. Uh, was that it's really hard to change, right? And so, you know, there, there's no necessarily governance token for Bitcoin. The governance token, in a sense, is like hashing power, like whoever or, or whoever has the most full nodes. And so when we have governance tokens, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, it makes the protocol soft because you have the, the protocol in the hands of, you know, a few people. Or I mean, again, it calls into question the, the mechanism of distribution. I'm sure I actually don't know exactly the mechanism of distribution for the fourth token. So we could talk about that. But let's let's kind of have like that sort of conversation. See, yep. like how you guys solve this. Love issue. it. Yeah, love it. Love it. I think um, I totally agree with that kind of dynamic that you're talking about. A lot of economists think of monetary policies as either being kind of rules based or discretionary. And Bitcoin is so sound because it's rules-based, right? Nobody, it's not very easy to go in there and adjust the total supply of Bitcoin or modify it and say like, well, you know, we thought it was going to stop at 21 million, but you know, we changed our mind, right? It's not a trivial thing to do. Um, you can't just like vote Bitcoin 
into a banana car. You can't just like say we cast all our votes and now this thing is no longer currency. It's, it's just going to be a, a, an NFT banana car. That doesn't happen, right? And that's what gives you some sense of safety and security with Bitcoin. So I can understand that like when you introduce a governance token, you say like, okay, now the, now the Ample token is kind of in the hands of the community. Um, on the one hand, it's very inclusive and a lot of people are going to be like, yeah, we get to be part of the decision-making. And on another hand, it's like you said, people are going to be like, well, is it, doesn't that make it kind of soft? Like, can't it be voted into a banana car? Um, and the answer is it cannot be voted into a banana car. So um, certain things are, are upgradable and certain things are not. And so um, the token itself is not upgradable. So that kind of was locked in prior to the release of the uh, governance token, which means uh, a couple of things. It means it will always be non-dilutive, right? So even if there are modifications to the supply policy um, here and there, it'll always kind of just expand proportionally. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply to holders and contract proportionally from holders. So that 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 much is important. Um, and you can't like, for example, ask the community to vote and freeze assets or transfer assets on behalf of something else, right? Because the token is no longer upgradable. So now there are other kinds of surrounding contracts. And in particular, there are like these hyperparameters that we can vote on. So um, one is the rebase reaction lag. So this is a smoothing parameter that determines like um, how sensitive or insensitive the protocol is to price exchange rate. And this is something that we've literally changed only one time. And we've modified it one time uh, over the course of the token's life. Um, it's not the type of thing that we expect to be changing very often, but it's important that it that it can be changed um, as the network evolves because, you know, the infrastructure of um, blockchain technology is evolving beneath us. And, and that goes to the other thing that's really important is like, um, the community can vote on integrations, so to speak. So sometimes, you know, um, new platforms need to kind of make modifications to support us. Sometimes they work automatically. And sometimes we need to make modifications um, to join a new platform. Like, for example, uh, when we first um, added onto Uniswap, we needed to add kind of um, an extra kind of call to the rebase function um, at the end to kind of call sync. And so this is something that, you know, folks in the community can vote on. So um, integration proposals, um, even kind of slight policy changes. Um, but what they can't do is they can't turn it into a banana card. It's going to be a, a coin that's non-dilutive that expands proportionally, contracts proportionally uh, in response to demand um, and, and, I, and, and can't freeze and seize. 
Yeah, and I, I, I love this idea of the banana card because what we have with the U.S. dollar and with all fiat currencies has become a banana card, right? It's literally, <laughs> um, it's this, this you know, system that twelve people get together, you know, a few times a year, um, the and they basically get to decide. How, you know the inflation rates, and they get to decide interest rates and all sorts of stuff. And so, um, really, one of my questions here uh, goes back to like again this executive order of sixty one hundred two when uh, I think it was Roosevelt, and he made uh, holding gold illegal. And it was you know it was you know back when we had you know money that was backed by gold. And he, and he made it illegal. And I thought that he was like, that's really bizarre because somebody brought it to my attention. We're like, oh, well, could they have a sort of executive order uh, to make Bitcoin illegal or whatever? And I was like, well, I, I don't know. That's kind of a stretch. But the, the point I want to kind of like make right now is that gold is commodity money. And Ampleforth mm-hmm. is smart commodity money. And Bitcoin mm-hmm. is commodity money, right? And so we're mm-hmm. also in a period of time when we have paper money that is not backed by commodities, that is not backed by assets, that's backed by debt. And it's backed by mm-hmm. effing bad debt, right? And we're <laughs> now at a very interesting time where, again, uh, you know, we're recording this on June 15th. On June 16th, everybody probably knows it's a big day for the Federal Open Market Committee. They're going to be deciding some, some really big things that have like dramatic, dramatic uh, kind of consequences for if they're going to start tapering interest rates. And the market is going to have lots of signals. So, you know, June 16th is going to be a very volatile day in the markets, but I want to kind of talk about this idea of commodity money. What, you know, what is commodity money? Are we actually going towards a world reverting to a world of commodity money? Like, is that actually what part of the cycle we're in? Yeah, it's interesting. I remember reading something in like, I think 2018 in IMF magazine and uh, I think Lagarde was talking about the possibility that with digital assets, we might move towards something where there's a, a lot more digital commodity monies. And, and she was kind of speculating as like, what does that mean for the job of central banks? Does that mean we execute open market operations um, against currencies that we don't control? Um, and she was, you know, rounding out that thought and, and saying that like, at the very least, it means we need to kind of um, be smart with our, our policy, be responsible and make sure that, you know, we, you know, are, are a reliable unit of account. So, I mean, I think, to your point, yes, um, we are the, the fiat money today is very different than you know the fiat money of yesterday. So I'm sure one of the reasons for Executive Order 6102 is because you know gold is vulnerable to hoarding, right, and deflationary spiral. And so uh, by kind of making it illegal to hoard gold, you kind of open up a little bit more of that supply. It's that supply inelasticity that becomes um, the weakness of, of of assets like gold. And so, you know, they were kind of wrangling folks into order and saying like, look, you can't really hoard gold bullion. That's dangerous for our economy. Um, and of course, you know, people aren't going to feel very good about that, right? Um, you know, yeah. I can't own this commodity that I dug out of the ground. What are you talking about? This is my land, right? So nobody's going to feel very good about that. But I think the, the genesis of that is kind of the weakness of, of fixed supply. Um, and and to your point, today we have this fiat money um, that is not backed by any sort of um, commodity, and therefore can kind of stray off the beaten path and towards banana car land to use <laughs> our shared language here. But it is very different in the sense that the Fed has very clear mandates, right? It has kind of this mandate to kind of um, make sure that uh, there, we don't suffer from too much kind of price inflation, and it's trying to maintain a certain level of employment and so on and so forth. And so 
um, it is just kind of a, a small group of thoughtful people trying to make the best decisions they can, but they're being given enough kind of slack to hang themselves. Um, and so, of course, a lot of people are going to be upset with how they're doing their jobs, especially as they look at, you know, inflation today. Um, now, nothing has really gotten out of control yet, but, you know, folks are certainly worried about that. And I think moving forward, you know, with, with something like Ample, which is a smart commodity money, like you said, it's really just, it's a commodity money that has elastic supply. So it's a commodity money like Bitcoin, except it can be used as a unit of account. Uh, and it's not really vulnerable to hoarding. If there's a lot of demand for Ample, the supply of Ample naturally increases, right? And, and so um, it isn't vulnerable to those kind of def deflationary spirals, even if you kind of use it um, as a unit of account or if you use it, you know, um, as a reserve currency for the issue of banknote, for example, that that would be a viable use case for something like Ample. Um, One of the questions and, I kind of had about um, about Ample's is, um, what, you know, what what in general would you say would cause the market cap of Ampleforth to grow? Um, the amples themselves, not the fourth governance token. Um, and sure. it's just demand, I would think, right? And so where does the demand generally start to stem from? Uh, I mean, so there's kind of these ideological narratives, like what we've been talking like about, like, wouldn't it be wonderful if there were something as uncensorable as, you know, Bitcoin, but could be used uh, to denominate contracts, right? There's just kind of a narrative there. But then there's also kind of, incentive programs that um, really have done a lot of work for us. Like, for example, when we launched that first geyser about a year ago, um, that's when we introduced the concept of, of uh, like liquidity mining, right? We don't have proof of work mining, but if you could, you could stake Ample and demonstrate and prove um, liquidity, thereby adding value to the coin network. And as a result, you would get an emission from the kind of unreleased uh, EcoFund Ample. And that's kind of a 10-year initiative. And so we've stimulated these kind of liquidity mining pools that are continuing to run now. Um, and that generated a lot of demand. Um, I think in the near term, a lot of there's a lot of kind of interesting kind of speculative things. So this is kind of how I think about crypto in general. It's like a lot of the near-term activity is driven by kind of speculative opportunities, um, yeah. but that's being used to bootstrap kind of these longer-term ideological outcomes. Like look at Bitcoin, for example, a lot of folks are buying in because they think that they can make money quickly, but what are they doing? Um, you know, they've been bootstrapping a digital gold, which actually has this known economic value in a greater context. And the same could be said for Ample. Like when Ample kind of gets integrated with lending platforms, it will be really interesting because it has this cyclical price. And so when Ample gets used um, for contract denomination, like for example, a loan on Aave, um, that loan, like let's say you borrow, you know, a thousand tether against a thousand Ample, your obligation is to pay back a thousand Ample someday in the future, right? Um, not the future value of rebased a thousand Amples, but just a thousand Amples. And so um, when, when, you know, the price is trading above the target, there's almost this incentive to borrow Ample because, you know, one day it'll go back to its target and you can pay back that loan at a dollar, right? Um, or when the price trades below a dollar, you'll have this incentive to kind of just buy some Ample and pay off any kind of um, outstanding debt. And so it'll have this really interesting behavior inside lending platforms. And it'll be the first kind of asset that it actually makes sense to borrow that's non-collateralized. So 
ample is not backed by anything. It's like fiat or like Bitcoin or like gold. It is where the buck stops, but it can actually be used in a lending platform. It borrows like a stable coin. Right? <laughs> That's um, so it's going to be gnarly. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, it's just so unlike anything else. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's weird. Um, and, and then when you start to think about what kind of derivatives can be created from it, that's when you get really interesting because it's like, okay, in this act of denominating with Ample on a lending platform like Aave, what I'm inherently doing is I'm separating the price volatility of Ample from the supply volatility of Ample, right? Because that contract is only concerned with the price volatility of Ample. Um, and so you can kind of start to break up the risk of, of an asset like Ample, you can refine it into kind of a, almost like a, a leveraged and deleveraged um, debt security on top of Ample. And that, and that starts to have like really interesting kind of properties um, that I think connect with the natural trajectory of um, decentralized finance. And we're working with really, really smart people um, to kind of develop a healthy, series of, of instruments on top of Ample that could be used for, um, I mean, I think issue uh, to create safe asset collateral and also to, to create um, decentralized margin instruments. So yeah. I'm really excited about the direction of it all. Yeah, man, I am too. Um, I want to talk about a, a couple more things. Um, I don't know where I should start, I guess, primarily. Um, so I think it kind of trips people out a lot like that, you know, Ethereum exists as like this platform that like you guys got your start on Ethereum technically, right? Like Ampleforth is a smart contract ERC20 mm -hmm. token. Is, is that correct? Totally. Yeah. It's a series of smart contracts and an ERC20 token on Ethereum. And then now as you guys are kind of bridging out and, and going cross chain, um, do you guys kind of see the few like just your personal take like on the future of these layer one blockchains is is the is is there gonna always be bitcoin and is is it you know ethereum gonna be number two forever or do you think it's gonna be under contesting i don't know what do you think i don't know um i, I do think you bring up an interesting um point there where like there are these like layer one chains like bitcoin and ethereum and the native asset of that layer one chain Bitcoin's only purpose is to produce the asset and Ethereum has this native asset either. Um, and then there's things like Ample that sit on top. We're kind of contracts um, that sit on top of an existing layer one chain. And now we're starting to sit on top of multiple chains. Yeah, like an application um, this, almost, right? It is like kind of an application. And so, you know, when we zoom out a little and we talk to kind of more of the monetary economic folks that we have in our corner, it's like, you know, a lot of folks think of money in terms of scarcity and use value. That's kind of a formal way to think about it. And so we kind of follow suit and say like, look, it's ample if it maintains this particular scarcity and use value profile. And yes, we did start on um, Ethereum and that is where the master contract lives, but who's to say that it won't one day move to a different chain for you know final settlement. That is actually possible. Maybe it becomes a Polkadot parachain um, that's unique to Ample, but the fact that it is um, a contract makes that possible and it might make it better as a money to not be entirely dependent on one particular chain. Um, and um, yeah, we've been thinking about that for a long time and, and for the foreseeable future, you know, Ample will, you know, have its master contract on Ethereum because it's just the most decentralized and most reliable 
smart contract chain, but um, there is no reason to believe that that will be the case forever. Interesting. Yeah, that's really good to know. Um, well, Evan, before we let you go, um, and I know you're a little under the weather, so thank you for, for staying, staying with us here. Um, you know, I, I'm just, any last words about the fourth token, um, that maybe we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure that the, the kind of the public had, had that information. Um, I would just go ahead and say that if you participated in the ample network and you have not claimed your fourth token, you're, you should do that because you're, you're eligible to do so. Any sort of on-chain activity means that you have you know, a right to some ownership over this fourth token. And after a year, um, the unclaimed fourth token will, will kind of, the community will vote on what to do with it. But there's kind of a period where you can claim it and you should take advantage of that now. The other thing I would say is like, if you're interested in any of this cross-chain stuff, um, you know, you can you can check out um, our bridge, right? Uh, Bridges.ample4.org and just play around with it. Try sending some Ample um, from Ethereum to to Binance Smart, it kind of feels like a first trip to the moon. You know, you send the asset there and then you wait and you see like, oh my God, did it rebase? It did. And maybe you kind of, you know, drop it into a pancake swap pool or maybe you kind of send it back, but it's just kind of a fun thing to do. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. No, no, I, I did the same thing. I was like, you know, dropping things. I did it, uh, the Ethereum bridge to Terra and I was like, you know, pinkies cross and it's like, oh my God, it just got sent to the burn address. Did I get scammed? And then I look at the burn address and then boom, it shows up in my Terra wallet, you know, a few minutes later. And it's really crazy how, you know, every, everything is really starting to come together and it's, it's really encouraging um, in the liquidity. Actually, Evan, while I had you, um, one last question, kind of like from your purview, you know, you sit at, at really the highest, you know, echelon of, of crypto, um, institutional adoption, you know, level of interest from banks, from traditional finance, level of like, pending investment do you think that the the market still has a long ways to go or do you think that it's a bear market season uh for a little while oh man it's hard to say i think that um yeah i mean look the whole story of this year has been more and more institutional involvement i just saw microstrategy like they did a 500 million dollar debt right um you know obviously they're going to put a lot of that into to bitcoin so I don't think the party of institutional involvement is over, um, is my gut feel here. I don't think we're in bear market forever territory, but um, just a healthy pullback. Sounds good. All right, Evan. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and I'm sure we'll have you back on again soon. Yeah, thank you so much. And I'll, I'll be in touch. Appreciate it. Sounds good. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.